This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. It happened at a key moment in my life, undoubtedly, but even when I go back and listen to Dr. Boyce's preaching today, I I say, yeah, this is just incredibly significant. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master and I am here with my friend James Dolezal. James, good to talk with you as always. Jonathan, uh, today we want to talk about influential preachers and uh, maybe each of us could offer two or three uh, most influential preachers, either ones that you have sat under uh, during your lifetime or who you have listened to or perhaps have read uh, at length and particularly why they're influential. Okay. Um, and so when you think of influential preachers, who are names that come to mind and and why? The first one that, that always pops into my mind, and I, you know, as many times as I've been asked this, is uh, James Montgomery Boyce, the late Dr. Boyce, who obviously had a, a huge role in the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. In fact, actually, that's how I first heard about the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Were you a member at town? I wasn't a member, but when I was an undergraduate, I attended there. Okay. Um, for the most part, that was the church that, that I would have been at every Sunday morning, many Sunday evenings. And so I sat under Dr. Boyce's preaching, and it was uh, tr- transformational for me because what I saw there was a congregation that was being shaped and reformed constantly by the Word of God. Uh, obviously, you know, his preaching uh, is still listened to today. Many people still benefit from it. I still listen to his preaching today. But there was something about being in that congregational context and seeing that his preaching set the agenda, but re- really the Word of God, or I guess you could say really God was setting the agenda because it was he, he was so concerned with teaching the Scriptures carefully and well, with application, with sort of pointed application. And it was, uh, yeah, for me, it, it changed my life completely. There were, there were, I, I probably couldn't list for you, you know, the outlines of six sermons that, you know, really were, were transformational, but it was the cumulative effect of it, uh, week after week as he opened God's word. And, and I have to say that in God's providence, that was really, one of the primary things that um, caused me to feel this great desire to study further, uh, to go to seminary, and and really has for me shaped my love of pastoral ministry ever since. So so it happened at a key moment in my life, uh, undoubtedly. But even when I go back and listen to Doctor Boyce's preaching today, I, I say, yeah, this is just incredibly significant. When you listen to Dr. Boyce preach, what do you expect from him? I'm thinking when when, uh, when those those preachers that we either listen to or have sat under and we come to them every week, uh, what sort of expectation do you bring to a Boyce sermon? You know, I never thought of it exactly in that way. I I I, I guess what I would say is, you know, I, I expect to have the the Bible clearly taught and 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 taught maybe isn't even strong enough word. I, I that's it's an appropriate word, but the Bible clearly taught and applied and preached. There was also a kind of joy to his preaching, at least I felt there was. He himself was excited about what God's Word taught. 
And that, I think, came through in all kinds of ways. And so even when he was being very critical of certain trends or very critical of certain ideas, it was it was because of the weightiness of what God had said. And so I, I, I don't know if that's a that's not certainly not a concise answer, but that's probably the best answer I could I could give you so that he would absolutely be number one on my list for two reasons. One, just the content of his preaching and the giftedness of him as a preacher but also the faithfulness week in and week out. And that's actually the tough thing for me about this question, because I could list for you uh, the people who I think are the best preachers I've ever heard, whether, you know, in person or online. And that would be a different list than the people who have had the greatest influence on me, because really I can't get through a list like that without thinking about people whose names would not be familiar to any of our listeners, but whose faithfulness week in and week out was extremely influential. So I'm going to toss it back to you. I I, I gave you one. I think I have one or two more that I could at least mention, but how about for you? Um, In no particular order, but I'll I'll start with uh, John MacArthur. And the Mm -hmm. reason, probably similar to you uh, with Boyce, uh, his was a ministry I sat under. He was my pastor for eight years. Uh, and in fact, I think it was in 1999 uh, at his 30th anniversary at Grace Church, Dr. Boyce was actually the one oh, brought yeah, out sure. to, uh, to preach the anniversary service. And maybe for the reasons that there's a, there's a certain kind of similarity mm-hmm. in their approach to the pulpit ministry. Um, and here's what it is with John MacArthur, I think, that makes him, has made him influential for me. It's not, again, any particular one sermon that wowed me, but it is a long duration of faithfulness in the scriptures. And here's the expectation I bring uh, to a MacArthur sermon. It's that we're going to have a very clearly identified passage of scripture Mm -hmm. that is going to be handled and that that passage of scripture is going to drive the shape and the content of the sermon in a deep in structural way so that when I, you know, if I were to take notes on a MacArthur sermon, I would I would expect to be able to go back and see how it was the text of Scripture itself that really shaped the points of the sermon mm-hmm. um, and the and the manner of its delivery. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that uh, he would not, as it were, take a theme uh, right. and then expound upon that. Uh, and sometimes he would he would do that uh, at great length. But there was a sense that what shaped our sermons, the thing that gave you something to say was the word of God itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the, you know, the old saying that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Mm-hmm. When you can see the preaching so closely tied to and driven by the text itself, you really see that come alive. Mm-hmm. And and this is uh, the thing. I think no one is immune from hobby horses. Uh, we all have them, those things that we, those topics and themes that we gravitate to uh, and that might become sort of predictable aspects of our ministry. But I, I think what strikes me about MacArthur's preaching is that he he does a good job not letting his uh, sort of particular emphases or concerns so overwhelm or dictate the passage of Scripture and what it's going to say, but really, I think, sits down and seeks to lead out, to exegete and to exposit uh, the Word of God itself. And I think that I brought up the question of expectation yeah. for you. Yeah. 
that built a kind of expectation in me, both for myself as a preacher, but also when I listen uh, to others. It Maybe I was spoiled with it. It gave me an expectation that what I'm going to hear is an exposition of the word and that, and that the pastor, the preacher is going to be patient enough with the text to really mine its riches. Mm. Uh, and what John MacArthur doesn't do is is sort of deal with 70 verses at a time. Right. Um, not that there isn't a place for that. I think there's a place for a kind of high, yeah, I've heard that uh, done well. a high altitude exposition yeah. of Scripture. It can be done well. I think what happens sometimes, though, is when we want to sort of grab onto those big themes of Scripture, we can lose the trees for the forest, uh, putting it the other way around, um, so that we don't actually see the, the, the texture and the delicacy of Scripture's witness. And I think in MacArthur's approach to the sermon, he's done a good job of giving us um, the smaller nuggets and the texture mm-hmm. of the text itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that struck me about what you were saying, I think someone like MacArthur, and this may be true of Boyce as well, I may I may not have enough critical distance to say, but certainly someone like John MacArthur is, is in some sense, known for his polemical positions, and yet it sounds like what you're saying is, week in and week out, you didn't feel like there was this driving agenda where it always came back to the same three things that he was writing on or, or whatever, but rather it was, it was very transparently driven by the text. I think it would be difficult. This year uh, will mark his, I believe, 50th anniversary at his church in the same pulpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I was there, uh, and I'm sure it's this way now, he was the preacher Sunday morning and Sunday night. Mm-hmm. If he weren't out of town, yeah. uh, also preaching somewhere. Right. And you don't you don't stay in the same pulpit Sunday morning, Sunday night for 50 years if you you know, if you, you have, have, have a one-string one, banjo, right, so right, to speak, right, right. Uh, if you're not really letting the text and even the details of the text uh shape your pulpit ministry. I think you can people will quickly tire and wear out if there's not an attention to detail. Um, and I think that's been part of, certainly not everything, but that's been part of what explains the staying power mm-hmm. of that pulpit ministry. And that you could point to others, and it's not its not that this is unique uh, to John MacArthur. You no. certainly find it in, in Martin Lloyd-Jones, mm-hmm. who inspired MacArthur so greatly. But if you ask ones that have influenced me, not only as my pastor for eight years, but as a, as a way of approaching the sermon, I've found it very helpful. Yeah, what an amazing influence he's had on so many people. You know, if I were to just do some quick hits, you asked for two or three. Yeah, give us a, give us another on your list. Well, so now we're moving in either one of two directions. Either we're moving to people who are, again, faithful ministers whose sermons would not be accessible at this point because they're not well known. I mean, th- those those are names that come to mind of faithful, godly ministers whom I've had the privilege of sitting under who, again, it's not so much that their 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 sermons were uh, going to be broadcast anywhere, but but their faithfulness and their love for the congregation has been superb. So that's one direction. The, the other direction in my mind goes in is that there are certain preachers whose, whose uh, approach to the text has been really influential. I think of Dick Lucas, for instance, uh, well known for his work with the Proclamation Trust, but of course, a pastor at St. Helens Bishopsgate in London for many, many years. And what I would say about his ministry is, again, uh, an absolute fidelity to letting the 
text go where the text goes. And so you, right. there was a real transparency to his ministry. And, and again, a joy, I would say, of the sort of joy of discovery for him. He's, he's sort of constantly seeing these things in the Bible and that that's infectious. And then another approach that's been influential for me is I've had the opportunity over the years to, to hear many sermons by men. You mentioned Lloyd Jones. I've only heard him of course um, on recordings, but someone like Sinclair Ferguson or, or others who have impressed me because of the seriousness with which they take the task. I remember very clearly listening it wasn't to Sinclair but it was someone at a conference where he was speaking and and the the man said you know when you get into the pulpit it's serious business right and that even just that that phrase stuck with me that this is the word of god we're talking about and it's serious business i i think that's fairly rare at least when i when i hear preaching today right when i hear a preacher who just seems to be where the where the word of god seems to be sort of a um an excuse for an entertaining mm-hmm. uh, message or a series of jokes, um, likable but not expositors, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, people that you you might enjoy a conversation with them, but they don't really have that much to say. No. And I think that's the that's the seriousness is that the message is not really your own as the preacher. Um, it is the word of God. You are but the instrument and the herald of someone. You know that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming someone else's word and someone else's message and we are we are ministers or servants of a message that is not our own and i i think that's what sometimes does concern me with some popular preaching today is i get the feeling that this is this is the message of this person mm-hmm. and the word of god is sort of brought in to supplement or amplify the person's message mm-hmm. um i'll throw one more on my yeah. list i gave you macarthur the other one that i would put on my list is actually albert martin uh for many years a pastor in new jersey now retired and maybe for some of the same, maybe some of the same reasons, you brought up the word serious. Uh, that's a term that comes into my yeah. mind when I think of Albert Martin's preaching. Um, this is, and maybe, maybe what attracts me to his preaching is similar to what attracts me to MacArthur's is that he allows the text and actually expects the text to drive the points that he's making in the sermon. Um, one thing that stands out to me when I think of an Albert Martin sermon, this is my, the expectation I bring. A very deliberately crafted outline. And for him, the outlines tend to be more propositional in nature so that each point is not so much a, a quick heading you can put down on notes as, as it is a, um, a major premise that he's going to put out there and that from the, te- driven by the text and then demonstrated from the text. And the other expectation, uh, that I, that I bring to an Albert Martin sermon is that of exhortation that he, that he teaches that he brings out the sense of the text rightly exegeted within the context and in the broader context of scripture, but then also pressed home on the conscience. And I'm thinking some, some time ago when we interviewed Sinclair Ferguson and he, he brought up this need. Uh, he was talking about the differences between teaching and preaching. Mm-hmm. And he made the point that the preacher presses the truth on the conscience of the hearer. And when I think of when I think of Albert Martin, I think that that's a that's a man whom the Lord has used to quicken my conscience, mm-hmm. uh, not a few times. I think this is a topic we could talk about for a lot longer. It's a great question, but we are out of time. So 
We'll have to uh, pick up with this next time, James. As always, good to talk with you. Enjoyed it, Jonathan. And thank you for listening. As you know, and we tell you this every time, but um, it really is the case that we are reliant on the gifts of friends like you in order to make this podcast possible. If you'd like to donate, you can do that at placefortruth.org. There's a donate button or alliancenet.org, also a donate button. If you know anyone who might be helped by this or might be interested in this, please pass along Theology on the Go. We're available wherever podcasts are available, on iTunes and elsewhere. And we'd love to hear from you. So if you get a chance, you can drop us a note, ask a question, suggest a topic. In any case, thanks for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. 